Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, George Plaster of Nashville Sports Radio. We will talk mostly about Vanderbilt basketball. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. The news is presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help, and please tell me you heard about it on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Well, the news not good for Vanderbilt basketball. The Commodores drop their fifth SEC game in five tries. This one coming Saturday to Arkansas in Vanderbilt's most lopsided loss of the year. Arkansas 92, Vandy 71 is the final at Memorial Gym. DJ Harvey leads the team in scoring with 16 points. George Plaster joins me today. George, it's been about three months since you've been on. Frankly, we have not had a whole lot of good to talk about in recent months. Uh, Not a lot of good to talk about where we're going today either, but I think it'll make for an interesting show as we talk about the state of the men's basketball program and probably touch some on the women as well. In any case, I hope you are doing well, and thank you for joining me today. I'm doing well, Chris. I hope uh, the the listeners are doing well. Uh, It's a tough time in all of our lives. Um, You know, we just continue to pray that soon we find an answer to the coronavirus. Yeah, and the fact that there is a mutation of a strain is probably not improving anybody's morale. Uh, Neither did a 21-point loss to Arkansas on the heels of a 20-point loss to a struggling Tennessee team improve anybody's morale. Uh, let's just start here. I don't, I don't know how else to dance around this. Things are not good and people aren't happy, and I am not finding a lot of places where I see this getting better soon. Is that fair? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's one of the things that's really depressing right now is the fact that, you know, you've gone through – you know, an 0-19 SEC final year with Bryce Drew. Uh, I think it was something like a 3-16 and last year in the SEC. They've started out 0-5. This is the program that most longtime Vanderbilt basketball fans want to have their most pride in. And to see this thing have disintegrated to one of the worst Power 5 programs in America uh, is pretty galling. It really is. And for people that have followed this program 40, 50 years, it hurts. Well, this is how bad it's gotten, okay? Everybody is aware of the disaster that Stephanie White has been for the women's team, and we may touch on that here in a little bit. 
Under Stephanie, the women's team is 48 and 83 overall, 13 and 54 in the SEC. The men's team over the last four years is 36 and 79 and 53 in the league if you include SEC tournament games. By the way, I did not include SEC tournament games for Stephanie White. Don't know what that would be. If you include those, don't really care. I mean, I think we have got the full picture of things. But, I mean, this is just – these programs used to be the crown jewels of the athletic department, and now they're both complete embarrassments. Which is why so many people are upset right now, because they don't see any light at the end of the tunnel on either one of them. And uh, it's a depressing situation. Uh, you come off a, a football season where they win no games. I'll admit I'm pretty impressed in the early returns on Clark Lee. I like some things he's doing. That gives me a little bit of hope. The women's program is a complete dumpster fire. Uh, there needs to be a coaching change, and the quicker the better, because this obviously has not worked. And I don't know what to think on the men's side other than I keep saying to myself, this isn't getting any better. And, you know, how long can you, you know, completely go without any hope? I mean, at some point, you got to have some hope, and right now there's none. Well, I think hope comes when you have good recruiting classes lined up, where there's progress, where there seems to be some system or method to the way you're doing things. Nobody sees that. I don't see it. I do not buy the explanations people have tried to make up about, well, you know, just give it time and, and let him get his players. His players are not any good. Uh, the only players he has who should see the court in an SEC game are recruits that Bryce Drew evaluated and brought in. The guys that he's brought in, uh, it, it's the worst assemblage of talent that I think I've ever seen there. Um, I mean, you you could go on and on, but let's put it this way. You are close to a lot of former Vanderbilt players, names that people would know. You're on a text chain with a lot of them, uh, and it's not been pretty from what you have told me about that. I, I don't think that this is inspiring a lot of confidence for the people who have been there and done those things and are dialed into the program, but uh, I'll let you take it from there. Chris, I was allowed to be in a really unique situation situation uh because of a man who i you know think the world of uh put on a pedestal probably above anybody else i've ever dealt with in athletics and that of course is uh cm newton coach newton gave me the opportunity as a 23 year old to be a color announcer and it certainly wasn't anything i deserved but he decided to lift me out of the broadcast gutter and and what I really got, I mean, it's a unique situation where a color announcer is only three or four years older than the players. I mean, that's a really unusual, different kind of deal. And so not only was I really close with Coach Newton and his staff, but I was very close to players. And now what's it been 35 years later, some of my closest friends in the world are guys like Will Perdue and Barry Goheen and Barry Booker and Steve Reese and Glenn Clem, Mike Rhodes, Mark Elliott, Tim Thompson. I've left people out uh, who are part of that. And if any of you hear that, please accept my apologies. But those guys are some of the closest friends I have. Will Perdue is usually the ringleader of getting a group of us together uh, two or three times a year when he comes in for dinner. You know, I can now tell the story because it was pretty emotional. Um, the night Coach Newton died, uh, his wife, Nancy, called me about five minutes after Coach Newton passed away, and all of us were together. Uh, we were having dinner, I want to say, at Fleming Steakhouse, and the seven or eight of us that were there, um, you know, all sort of did a toast to Coach Newton. At that point, I mean, you know, th there's some really quality people in that. And it's the thing that I'm probably the most proud of when somebody says, what is it, you know, in your past that you love about Vanderbilt? It's those kind of people. 
you know, we, we get together. One of the neatest things, Chris, that they ever did for me, uh, they had a reunion about 10 years ago. And if, I, if I've told this story, stop me. But they had a reunion, and they invited me to be a part of it. Coach Newton got up at some point and said, I'm so proud as I look around the room. They're doctors, lawyers, blah, 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 blah. And I, I feel so good about what's happened here. And then he had this long pause, and he goes, hell, even George turned out okay. And he goes, who would have dreamed that? And, you know, everybody in the room's laughing. Anyway, that was a long deal to say, sure, we have this conversation every time we all get together. People are concerned. Some are, are furious that this program has been allowed to get in this condition. Uh, none of them are happy. Um, but yeah, darn right we talk about it. I know this is not North Carolina. It does not have the history and tradition that Carolina has. And of course, I bring that up because that's where Jerry Stackhouse played. But there's a lot of pride in that program among those people. It just does not seem like on the whole, there's been a whole lot of engagement with the stakeholders, uh, either former players. I, I don't ever see him in the local media other than the the media thing they do once a week. I mean, he's not I, – I don't see a coach that is out there engaging people and trying to do something to stir up interest in the program. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that we can talk about, and we will. But since we're on that topic, I, I, I don't see it, but you're dialed in there. What are you seeing or not seeing? Well, I don't see anything, and, and that's a little bit of what concerns me. You know, one of the lessons I learned, Chris – from age 23 to whatever it was, 26, when, when I ended up going to Memphis State, Coach Newton was the best buyer of time I've ever seen. I mean, he had some really rough patches. Uh, we went through an 11-game SEC losing streak. Coach Newton's ability to be out in the community, kiss hands, shake baby, kiss babies, shake hands, I got to say that right. Yeah, I think the other way you that might run into him, some legal issues, but anyway. Yeah, that bought him a ton of time. And he was the best at that I've ever seen. Um, I, I don't see any of that out of Jerry Stackhouse. Um, I, I, I would say this if he's listening to this, I would encourage him to start getting out in this community because the vibe that he's put out there seems to be that he really doesn't care. Well, the vibe he's putting out there is he's more concerned with Jerry than he's concerned with the state of the program. I think that's perception. Yeah, and look, I don't know him. I've never met him. He's the first coach in Vanderbilt basketball since, you know, going back before Roy Skinner that I didn't know. And, and some of them, you know, through that long list, have been really close friends. So anything I say up front, I've never met him. Um, but, I, I, you know, I also have, you know, eyes and ears, and I can figure this stuff out too. Um, you know, he needs to get more involved in this community. And in particular, what I don't think he understands or cares about is you could buy yourself time you could buy goodwill uh, to allow this thing to be seen out to its conclusion if you do those kind of things. That was one of the great lessons that to Coach Newton taught me. It does not cost anything to be halfway nice to people and to show that you care about, you know, the community you live in. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that got Bryce in trouble, too. I mean, I think 0-18 trumps everything, but one of the complaints was, and, and it was in pockets, right, because I knew people who were close to him, and, and Bryce was a, a nice, engaging person. Like, if you were around him, you liked him, and you enjoyed spending some time with him, but I think, I don't think that helped Bryce Drew. I, with Jerry, look, I have nothing against Jerry Stackhouse, personally. Um, although he did block me on Twitter for whatever reason. We can get into that in a bit. But, you know, my interaction with Jerry, I, I find him a guy who can be engaging and funny and, and 
kind of fun to be around with, but it all comes down to effort and concern, and I think that's where the issues are, is that there doesn't seem to be a lot of that in terms of of getting out there and, and spreading the gospel with respect to Vanderbilt basketball, for lack of a better term. Uh, he has spent his time doing more things like searching Twitter to see who said what, and this happens not long after basketball games, uh, and, and blocking fans and, and getting into the direct messages and uh, you know letting them have it. I, I'm just like, what what are you doing here? That that is not how you build a program. Yeah, look, I'm certainly no expert on Twitter. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know the first thing about Twitter until a couple of years ago, and you know, some friends of mine kind of taught me a little bit about how to get on it. Um, you know, the, the person I reached out to more than any about Twitter was Jeff Francoeur, uh, because he had sworn to me years ago, he'd never get on it. And then he became a broadcaster with the Braves. And, you know, I think he was encouraged to get on personally, I would use Twitter for a lot of positive stuff. I don't I don't know what good it does to get into the negative, to get into, you know, pissing matches with fans. Um, I just don't think that that's productive. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Well, look, when things are not going well with the program and, and the same things persist, look, I, I'm not going to get into everything, and you're not either, because we've heard a lot of stuff, right? Uh, you're not there. You just trust your sources. You trust what they know. You trust where you get your information. You make judgments. I'm not going to get into all the specifics of why I believe some of the things I believe, but you know the drumbeat of concern has been consistent from the beginning. I, I have not seen a lot of those concerns addressed. I was concerned with the way in the off season. You know what they needed was more expertise. I thought that he was given a gift with Ricardo Patton in terms of getting him on the staff. Frankly, I think Patton should have been one of his assistant coaches had he wanted it. You had one guy on the staff who knew how to recruit. That was David Grace. Now, there's some concerns that come with David Grace, but I thought the offseason where he kicked both those guys off the staff, or I think Ricardo might have left on his own out of frustration, but that was a bad step. Um, you know, Their staff now has got two years of experience in college, actually three heading into this year. Jerry has a year at Vanderbilt. Uh, you have Faraji Phillips has a year at Vanderbilt. And you now have um, Adam Mazzari, who's got a year at Vanderbilt. So those guys have three years of college experience coming in. They're all last year at Vanderbilt. Where was the leadership in terms of, hey, what, what are you doing here? This is not how you put a staff together. It just concerns me that you can see these things from the outside and there's no guiding hand above him to put a stop to any of this. Let's go back to the beginning. Uh, when Malcolm Turner hired Jerry Stackhouse, there was no reason to give him a six-year contract. He hadn't done anything to warrant a six-year deal. In my mind, six years is excessive. I didn't understand it at the time. I think now it's turned out to be a huge mistake on Malcolm's front. It's not like a ton of colleges were beating down Jerry Stackhouse's door. And I don't mean that necessarily to be negative because he's new in this business. But for God's sakes, he didn't need a six-year contract. That's stupid. And, you know, who knows where this is going? At the end of the year, at the end of the season, the people that matter, and I'm, I'm assuming, you know, Candace Lee, maybe Tommy McClellan, whoever, need to sit down with Jerry Stackhouse and they need to do a serious review of, is this getting any better? And if it's not, certain steps that maybe they have to force the issue of. The first question we want to know is who's really running the AD, right? Because we've got some mixed messages. On one hand, I have heard that Tommy McClellan was hired to run the AD. I've also heard it phrased as, Candace is still in charge, but Tommy was hired to take care or, you know, to to basically fill in the gaps on her weaknesses. Whatever the case, 
I want to know where the leadership's coming from. Who is it? I mean, frankly, there's been several times he should have had a meeting with his boss pretty quickly. And I think if that's not happened, we're doing this Monday morning. It's 1045 as I'm speaking. If he's not in Candace Lee's office or Tommy McClelland, if Tommy is truly given charge of running the program, and there haven't been some things addressed about the press conference. I'll get some quotes in that in a minute about the way he responded to fans on Twitter, about the constant blocking of people. That got national headlines this weekend. They failed in their area's leaders. My philosophy of management is that if you've got some problems that aren't being worked out from an organizational standpoint, that's your fault. Now, once the organization steps in and tries to help you, if those problems persist, it's no longer your fault. It's the fault of people above you. If that's not been corrected, you either take further steps to correct it or you move on. I'm seeing a failure in leadership here. And frankly, I've seen it with the women's team. The word on the women's team was, and I know that it's been blamed for COVID. I know that the hustler did a piece on that yesterday. Yes, injuries and things have taken place that have decimated that roster. But the word I've heard and the word you've heard is they just quit. That there have been concerns that have been brought to Candace Lee for years regarding that roster. She is the supervisor of that program. They have gone unaddressed. You continue to see kids leave and leave and leave. And now you don't have a team left to fill out the season. I'm seeing the same style of management that's gone on on the men's side. And frankly, there's a quote this weekend that he said in the press conference that I found interesting because I had started to hear some undercurrents of this right after the Tennessee game was canceled. Stackhouse said this weekend, right now we've got some guys who don't want to play any bleeping basketball. So here's my question. He's calling out his team as having quit. I have heard undercurrents of all kinds of dysfunction and chemistry issues over there. I think it was interesting that Jerry phrased it the way he did. Again, I'm not there to see what goes on. But when he said that this weekend, that caught my attention because there have been undercurrents of that kind of thing the last couple of weeks. A lot of which I can't sit here and tell you that uh, I know with 100% certainty. But here's the thing. They're not competitive. Losing by 20 at home multiple times in the conference doesn't cut it. Now, the fact of it is, because of COVID, there aren't any fans inside Memorial Gym. But if you took away COVID right now, Memorial Gym would still have a lot of the same feel. And this is one area that I think I can speak from real experience because I've watched this program, I think, the first game my dad ever took me to, I saw Pistol Pete Maravich, a.k.a., you know, I'm getting older. Um, so, you know, it's not like there's been over the years a lot of pride by Vanderbilt fans in Dudley Field. Not a lot to be real proud of. It's kind of a dump. But Memorial Gym, now that's a totally different story. Memorial Gym in its heyday was one of the top 10 snake pits in this country. You didn't want to play there if you were the visitor. You knew it was going to be really hard. It's one of the loudest places in the country. And for me, you know, you've cited a lot of the the stuff here. I'm going to go emotional. Watching Memorial Gym disintegrate to what it's gone to really saddens me. It just really does because – This has been a source of pride uh, for those of us around Vanderbilt basketball for a long time, that Memorial Gym is a special, special place. Well, this just in, it isn't anymore. I don't know how they get that back, but because honestly, it's not going to get any better next year. Um, You know, I I think that they could lose some significant guys out of the rotation. They're – There's been an undercurrent of that. I'll just leave it there. Um, You you reach a point to where, and this is what Bryce ran into, right? This is where when they got rid of Bryce, and people have different opinions on that, I I could totally understand it because you get to a point where you've lost so many games that even if you you pull an 8-8, and 
the record overall is still so far underwater that it becomes hard to make a case as to why you're the answer for the job. This is where this is going, okay? They're going to win zero games, one game, two game, three games, something along that. And maybe they win three or four, and maybe he gets his back. But the climate over there isn't good. Uh, and if you start losing players from that and you're bringing in a recruiting class that is very underwhelming uh, compared to SEC standards, how does this get better for next year? I mean, they're not. there's not a path to 8-8 eight and eight next year. Um, I think even with Pippen and DeSue and those guys, and again, you start losing people, and then what? I just think they're at a critical juncture where – They've got to get some answers, and they've got some get some wins soon. Um, I mean, I guess the stopgap would be if they killed it in the transfer market and landed two or three really good ones and kept those other kids. But but now we're, uh, you know, th- th- this is getting very speculative, right? I, I just I'm starting to see where it's hard to find a path where he gets this thing out of the ditch. To me, I mean, it's a fair um, it's a fair concern. Uh, I don't know how he gets out of this. Um, you know, I, here's the obvious answer. You recruit past it. And so far, he's not been able to do that. I, I want to reiterate, my, my first thoughts about him as a coach are pretty good. I think he knows how to coach. But you know what? John Calipari gets a hell of a lot smarter as a coach when he has really good players. Um, it's interesting that uh, this year Kentucky's really struggling. It's interesting that Duke's struggling. Kansas is struggling. It comes down to players. And the better players you have, the more likely you are to be a good coach. Um, It's just that simple. Well, if you want to get specific, they missed evaluations on DJ Harvey, Quentin Malore, Brown, and Isaac McBride significantly because the private buzz was they all thought those guys were, uh, and these are my words, uh, so I'm, I'm just trying to paraphrase to figure out how do I best put this right, but th- they thought those guys were game changers. Their evaluations on those guys were really far off, really far off. Uh, and, and that's my concern, I think, on top of everything else, because he thinks, and, and this has been said privately, I've heard it, his belief is they don't need to get four- and five-star kids to win here. Their belief is in their evaluation and their talent developing uh, that their coaching will be good enough that they are going to prevail. That That is where he put his eggs. Um, I'm just having a hard time seeing where that is translating right now or going to in the future if that's their approach. Here's what I think I know. This can't go on like this for six years. And I think the the what is left of the Vanderbilt fan base, um, they're pretty lenient, they're pretty patient, but they're not going to be that patient when it comes to Vanderbilt basketball because that is the sport they probably care about the most. Now, Tim Corbin has forced the issue through his brilliance to put baseball right up there. But the truth of it is Vanderbilt basketball has been what the fan base wants to be great at. Um, You know, and Corbin's uh, miracles uh, were just icing on that cake that, that nobody saw coming, you know, 18, whatever years ago it was when he got hired, nobody saw that coming. So take that out of the equation. By the way, thank God for Tim Corbin and that program, because what else is there to get excited about? Shall we do the mailbag? Ah, uh, yes. All right. Well, where, this... where the thunderstorms and the lightning go off. Yes, well, there's thunderstorms and lightning in here for sure. And I'm interested to see how you answer some of these. Our mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshumintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. 
He is my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. 9-0 Dev was the hire of Malcolm Turner, then subsequently giving him total authority to hire Jerry Stackhouse. The worst decision you've ever seen Vanderbilt admin make. Would the hire of Candace Story Lee be number two? Um, you know, I, I don't know how you rate these. First of all, um, I really enjoyed Malcolm Turner during the short amount of time that I got to know him. Um, I'd love to be able to pick up the phone and ask him why Jerry Stackhouse warranted a six-year contract. In my mind, he warranted no more than four. Um, you know, if you're going to go back through the history of, of Vanderbilt athletics, um, you know, we're, we're missing a couple of things. Richard Schmidt turned out to be a two-year disaster PR-wise that forced the hiring of C.M. Newton, who at the time was uh, supervisor of officials in the Southeastern Conference. So rating all this stuff, it probably doesn't matter. But in the end, the decision to go with a six-year contract is an albatross that was not needed. C.A. Money says, are we about to see Jerry Stackhouse's last rodeo at Vanderbilt? I don't know. Um, Again, I don't know the guy, but I don't get the vibe that he's really fired up to be here. Maybe I'm wrong. The fact is, I don't know him. So I'm I'm just babbling uh, with no real basis for anything. But I would like to see him show a little bit more appreciation because the Vanderbilt basketball fan base has been a hell of a fan base and one by one pissing them off and telling them that, you know, they're fair weather fans. That is not the way to go about it. I'm going to make an observation here. They have a culture problem in the AD as a whole. And I think that it's probably best illustrated by Derek Mason after the Missouri game two years ago. You know, they were horrible, floundering. He's in year six. You know at that point they're not going to have a winning season. They get their one significant win of the last two years. I mean, we didn't know that at the time. We didn't know more was coming, although you could suspect it. But point is, he's in the middle of the desert doing nothing. And his remarks to Don Davenport – Frankly, you know, about I'm the guy for this job, I'm built for this job, and it just came across as a middle finger to the fans and the critics that I I deserve to be here and I don't deserve this criticism. Frankly, I see a lot of the same thing with Jerry. You see it in the AD, um, you know, with Candace Story Lee. Their message there seems to be, I don't think they spend a lot of time in self-reflection um, and trying to think, hey, is there some merit to the criticism? They just lash out, whether it's that, whether it's you know getting a writer you don't like banned from the press box, all those things. I just don't see an ability in that AD to self-reflect uh, and, and to fix things. I, I just see a continued culture over there that is knee-jerk and, and that rather than thinking, okay, is there something here we need to work on, they just lash out at the critics. Yeah, and in the end, that that's really, really not going to get you anywhere. Um, you know, all of us need somebody that counsels us that we really respect. That, you know, gosh, how many times in my life have I wanted to lash out about something that I didn't think was fair and somebody stopped me from saying something stupid? Okay. I'll give you a, for instance, you don't think that there were some times in 2003 with a lawsuit with cumulus that I didn't want to lash out. Of course there were, I had a wonderful attorney in Jack Waddy who basically was a great buffer these coaches need that. It's a frustrating job. There has to be somebody who walks in and says, listen, I know you're frustrated, but there's a better way to handle it than this. And I've been fortunate 
in that a lot of times in my life, you know, I've had somebody that would step up that I respected and some of the people would surprise you. Listen, Kevin Stallings was a wonderful for me, um, person who could sort of put me in my place and say, listen, you're wrong. Kevin and I talked about all kinds of stuff that nobody knows about, but man, during, during the lawsuit times, he was a huge help to me. I respected him. He was dead on right about some things that when he said it, I wasn't sure of. All of us need those kind of people. And some of these coaches right now who really are doing, you know, very little but losing the lashing out part. Somebody's got to get in a room with them and say, look, there's a better way to do this than this. Well, there's just not a lot of contrition or humility over there. Um, you know, they have pounded their chest a lot about the way they do things in the Vanderbilt way, but when there's losing, they all just have seemed to to go invisible, and there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of, you know, hey, this is a miserable experience for the fans right now, and we hear you, and we're going to get this right. And I think the chancellor has brought some things to that. But the way they have reacted in that has always been interesting. You know, you mentioned Kevin Stallings. I'm glad you did because I wanted to go there. You know, when Kevin started to get it right, let's be honest, when it was going poorly for him his first few years, he had a lot of anger management issues with his team that I think came out in the way they played. Uh, They got Kevin a consultant who sat behind the bench and watched him. And I think – you know, I think Kevin backslid later in some years, but I think in the in-between, they were able to manage a lot of that, get some of the anger in control, and that's when Kevin did his best. I just don't see a self-corrective property over there that's visible where you see this going on with the coaches. It seems to be like our strategy is to to bash the critics, to tell you how they're wrong, but never to address the issues. Well, it's hard for me to disagree with a lot of that. Um, you know, I'm hopeful that there becomes this person or people that that help these coaches. But right now, the lashing out part and telling fans that they're fair weather fans that, that's got no place. Because let me tell you something: we live in an we live in a world in our country where people have the right to use their entertainment dollars any way they want and you know they don't owe Vanderbilt or Vanderbilt men's basketball uh, by moral obligation to have to to put up with this you know they can go put their dollars with the Predators or the Atlanta Braves or whatever Um, and and they need to be very careful when they start going down that road V. Superior says, do you think Jerry Stackhouse is the coach to lead Vandy basketball back to the top half of the SEC? And if not, who should we hire? Um, right now, I don't think he is, but that doesn't mean that he can't be. Uh, I've learned over the years that, you know, about the time I'm going to count people out, is sometimes where they kind of show me. So I'm not going to sit here and make this bold proclamation that absolutely there's no way he can be that person. Right now, I'm having the same doubts everybody else is having, Um, and and with good reason. Um, As for the future, who knows? You know, one of the things I don't really know is how does the rest of the country view this job? Um, that would be a real interesting thing. Same things going on right now involving Tennessee football. How do the big names really view that job? Do they view it as a job with a 100,000-seat stadium and a rabid fan base? Or do they view it as a fan base that maybe in some circumstances has turned into a negative because, that you know, of, of how rabid they are, uh, a lot of dysfunction within the athletic department. You know, right now, this new guy up there is probably getting a real dose of what the college football community thinks about the job he has to offer. And 
I guess there's a curiosity factor for me in wondering, you know, and am I so blinded by the trees, by the forest from the days of the seventies and the eighties that I don't know that the rest of the basketball community is like, I wouldn't touch that with a 10 foot pole. I don't know. Well, here's what I know. I know that this was a job that Bryce Drew had stalked for a few years. Uh, you know, now we know how that turned out. But in the point at the time, Bryce was seen as a, a fairly good rising star in the coaching community. Obviously, it did not work out. We'll see how Act 2 goes at Grand Canyon. But point is, you have a lot of people, and this happened with the AD job too, right? And even the second time around when they were – going to do a search, which they were telling people uh, when they got rid of Malcolm, which they never did. I think it was going to be Candace all along. I don't know why they couldn't just be honest with people. But point is, you had some ADs uh, that had been stalking that job for a bit too. I would assume that you have the same thing in coaching. I will give you a little bit of an idea of the temperature of the room. I was texting with the contact that I have within college basketball, another place, uh, this person's got ties to Vandy too. Uh, and in our Texas weekend, this person has some ties to the agent community. And what I was hearing from him is, hey, if this job opens, here's two names I'd watch for. Tim Miles would be one, the ex-Nebraska coach, and another one would be Craig Smith, who's doing a great job at Utah State. Now, look. Would those guys come here and succeed or fail? I, I don't know. Uh, we had some talk about that on our board this weekend. Uh, I've talked to some people that think the Vanderbilt shame higher than that. But here's the point. Those guys aren't terrible basketball coaches. So that alone, without knowing anything, is tells me if this job came open, uh, they could get some decent candidates. I think Casey Alexander at Belmont would be another one. Uh, I don't want to speak for Casey, but I suspect he would be interested. I know he's very interested the last time. I would take my chance with either of those guys, any of those guys, right now compared to what we're seeing. Does it work out? Can they get to another level? I don't know. But I feel any of those three guys would probably put in the time and effort uh, to, to at least give it a decent shot. Well, I'm not going to touch the Casey deal with a 10 foot pole. Um, <laughs> some people know, some people don't. I'm doing all of Belmont's uh, radio and TV package since uh, Kevin Ingram left. And it's really been fun for me. Uh, I had not really done any play by play for a pretty good length of time. This has been fun for me. I can tell you one thing, Casey Alexander can flat out coach. And right now I would say on a neutral site Belmont would beat Vanderbilt in double digits they would wear them out yeah he's lost one game this year and I know their schedule hasn't been any great shakes but um, people that I know that know him and watch him really think highly of them and I think they think he could do the same things there that Rick Bird has done well he learned from a master I mean, I'm sure he's got the kind of feelings for Rick Bird that I do for C.M. Newton. Um, Casey can flat-out coach. And uh, what what he has done, he's infused a couple of new players, a, a young guy, Jacoby Wood from Cleveland, Tennessee, kid Ben Shepard out of Atlanta. They're really good. Um, they look like the best team in that league. They look like they're going to the NCAA tournament. Um, that would be fun. That'd be a lot of fun for me. Um, but anyway, you know, I, I'm not trying to, to move Casey anywhere, but uh, you could do a hell of a lot worse. Let's see. View Perrier says, what have you heard in terms of new university support for the football program? We'll change gears. Over, I think we're just going to leave basketball alone. I think we have hit that pretty thoroughly and move on. So let's start with that one. Well, you know, what I hear is at least encouraging that this chancellor wants it to be good. Um, you know, I also hear that at some point, perhaps in the spring, that you'll get a little bit more of an idea of 
what it is they intend to do facility wise. I don't pretend to know um, what, you know, what holdups there are, you know, all I can do is hope because God knows at this point, they need a chancellor who cares about athletics worse than they have ever needed ever. Is that a fair statement? Uh, for sure. For sure. Uh, I thought you'd uh, think that. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think that might be a given in this situation. But Chi-Town Door wants to know, what are your observations on Clark Lee? Have you followed his career? What do you think of his staff hires? Um, first of all, I don't know Clark. Uh, I maybe have met him in the past. His father was the Nashville Sounds team doctor when I was one of their broadcasters coming out of college. His father is a wonderful man, and I'm happy for the dad because I know this put a big smile on his face. Uh, Clark really got my attention when he hired Barton Simmons. Um, I, I don't know. I think the title was general manager. I'm not sure I know what that means, but I don't really care what it means. Here's what I do know. Barton and I did a, a, a national TV recruiting show together for two years. I don't know the first thing about recruiting. Couldn't care less. Um, that's not an area that has ever really floated my boat. Uh, he is a walking encyclopedia of recruiting knowledge. Nobody knows more about recruiting than Barton Simmons, period. And for them to get him, and obviously there was a friendship between Barton Simmons and Clark Lee that goes all the way back. I think they were in school together at NBA. Uh, that one really got my attention, and that told me this guy's got a plan. And uh, I, I kind of like what I've seen early. CA Money says we all know the names of the guys who've made it to the big league since Tim Corbin arrived on campus. Who were the, some of the guys pre Corbin that were big league guys? I mean, the guys that come to my mind are Joey Cora, Scotty Madison, Mike Willis, Scott Sanderson. Uh, there wasn't a big list of players pre Corbin. The one that probably should have gotten there um, was was a really close friend of mine when we were in school, Jack Newsmer. Jack Newsmer is one of the all-time great pitchers that ever came out of Vanderbilt. And uh, Jack, if you're out there listening, um, you know what? Uh, I'm glad I, I kept your name out there. Uh, he would have been one that I thought could hit it big. And uh, Jack, if you're listening, uh, <laughs> Chris, for, for my, my graduation present from my parents, was a, a decent set of golf clubs and Jack was the one that helped mom and dad pick them out. Did it help my golf game? Hell no. Um, but you know, I've learned in recent years that my crappy golf game has nothing to do with the equipment. <laughs> I can't speak to that too much. I'm, I'm horrible at golf and I don't oh, think sure it would can. matter. Just, hey, yeah. just go on what everybody says. <laughs> right. Well, uh, maybe I need to play with you some, and you could feel a little better about your game. But well, the... <laughs> okay, Chris, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Back when I was working at Belmont, uh, I had a, a basketball player that was an intern one summer, uh, Burton Sampson, uh, just a, a great young man out of Knoxville, Tennessee. So at, at senior day, you know, uh, at the banquet, they're all allowed to get up and speak. And Burton is running through some thank yous. And he goes, and I'd like to thank George Plaster, who allowed me to do an internship. And he said, for the record, George is every bit as bad a golfer as he's been advertised. <laughs> <laughs> really appreciated that one. Let's close with this. A couple of questions on Joe Fisher. People want to know if you've spoken with him and if there's any chance he returns to Vanderbilt. I have no idea whether he returns. I've reached out to him a couple, three times through um, um, text message. Uh, Joe's returned a couple of them. Joe is a, a really good friend. Um, coming out of college, there were three of us 
that wanted to do what we ended up getting to do. Chip Walters, Joe Fisher, and me. We've always had that bond, and we've always, you know, when we've gotten together, we've all just sort of said, hey, it's pretty cool that we were able to live out our dream. And so whatever goes on, man, I wish the very best for Joe Fisher. Um, Good friend. Yeah, I'll second that as well. Well, we are out of questions in the mailbag. Any parting thoughts before we end the show today? 65 days to opening day in the bigs. Can't wait. And less than that in baseball. Need it badly, by the way. Uh, I think we all do. Um, I I was. You want me to give? Go ahead. You want me to give you one more? Sure. If my team re-signs Marcelo Zuna, we're going to win it all. Ooh. Now, now you have noticed what the Padres have been doing, right? I have. Okay, I like it. I'll put my I'll put my team up up against any of them. George's bold prediction for twenty eight or for whatever we're in twenty twenty one. It's all it's all running together these days. But um, can we erase this if needed? <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. I know a guy who can do that. Yeah, well, it me. <laughs> that, that, that is true. Well, with that, uh, give people your Twitter handle. Tell people where they can find your shows online and on the radio dial. Uh, Twitter handle is George Plaster TN. Uh, I'm on uh, every Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. on uh, 560 WNSR on the AM dial and 95.9 on FM. Chris, I've enjoyed doing this. I appreciate uh, the time to spend with you. Well, and we will have you on back in the regular rotation with baseball on the horizon. Frankly, if, if I can just be honest with the audience, the things with basketball I have seen coming for a while, this does not surprise me. And I know nobody wants to hear the drumbeat of negativity and gloom and doom all the time. And frankly, that's one reason we've not done as many of these. It's just been hard to know what to say. Uh, but I think with baseball, uh, that's going to be a different animal. Uh, I'm optimistic about the season ahead for them and, and looking forward to, uh, frankly, talking sports rather than just the continual soap operas that have been the storyline in the other two programs that I cover. And, and if, if you want to go women's basketball, which you don't really cover, uh, that that would be another one where the soap operas have dominated the headlines. And, and frankly, I'm, I'm just I'm ready for something else. And, and bring us baseball, please. 65 days and counting. You bet. All right. He's George Plaster. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Bandy Sports Podcast. We'll be back with more later this week.